0: and Prejudice by Jane Austen, Volume 2, Chapter 16. Announcements, announcements, announcements. All right, so before we get in to Pride and Prejudice, Volume 2, Chapter 16, I wanted to do a little review of disenchanted the sequel to enchanted that just came out on disney plus for thanksgiving and i'm not going to do a full review of scene by scene or a full episode on it so i just wanted to touch on it because i love this movie and because i love enchanted a lot it is a very um emotionally important movie to me in my life Um, it was the last movie I ever saw in theaters with my mom before she died and she loved it and she was so excited about it. She, it was like her favorite movie. She had a great time with it. Um, we actually played a song from it at her funeral. Um, the so close, but still so far, so close to reaching your perfect happy ending. That song, um, got played at her funeral with like, uh, over a thing of pictures of her or whatever. Um, so this movie, that movie, Enchanted, the first one, is just linked to my memories of my mom so much. Um, when she was in the hospital, um, right before she died, I it was back when you had to like download songs. I downloaded one of the songs from that movie to play for her because she it made her happy. Um, yeah, the whole thing. I just have very strong associations of that movie with my mom, and it's very important to me emotionally and so when the sequel came out that was also important to me and i actually watched it on thanksgiving with my dad and my brother and um that was also important for me that i wanted to see it with them like with my family um i didn't necessarily talk about like that movie association with my mom at that point but it was important to me and it felt good for me to be able to like watch it with them and know that they know that context too. Um, And I, and it was a really happy moment for me. And I, I really enjoyed getting to see that sequel and the fact that the sequel is so based around this mother daughter relationship between Giselle and her stepdaughter and Giselle being the evil stepmother for a while and all of that. And, you know, at the end becoming, you know, being the real mom again and all of that i it just was very i'm gonna keep saying the word emotional but it it worked so well for me and my personal emotional needs in that moment and um i really overall enjoyed the movie i thought the story was strong i really enjoyed um giselle turning into the evil stepmother the best song of the whole movie i think was when um the two villains, the evil queen and the evil stepmother, have like their show off song where they're both talking about how they are the most evil one. Such a great scene. Such a great song. Um, I will say that I was sort of disappointed with the rest of the music. I don't feel like there were any songs as catchy as some of the music from the first one. I don't think it lived up to that. Like musically, the songs were not as strong, but the story itself was really good. So I really overall loved the movie. I just don't think it worked as well as a musical. Because the only song that really stuck out to me like that, that was like a really good, fun song moment, was the one with their saying that they're, I'm badder than you. Between the villains. Um, You know, even Idina Menzel has her own big ballad song, and she sings beautifully, but the song itself, I don't know, the lyrics are just love, power, power, love love power i don't know it just it didn't work for me i didn't find it to be a particularly strong song even though again her voice was beautiful she sang wonderfully of course she did she's her um so the music was a little disappointing for me that is my biggest critique it was visually stunning i loved the costumes there was one which is all when she's the evil evil stepmother comes out in this peacock dress that's just perfect chef kiss Love it so much. Um, it was a really great movie. I highly recommend it. It's on Disney plus now. It's a lot of fun. Um, there's some great mother daughter moments and the rea- the realness of having a you know, teenage mo- teenage daughter with a mother relationship. Um, it was just perfect. Well, except for the, some my little critiques with the music. But really that is my main critique is that I didn't love the music of this movie. Um, and I've only watched it once. So music does tend to grow on me. I'll be honest with you. I might be singing a completely different tune after watching it a couple times. I might just love the music. That has happened before. That the music will grow on me and I'll be okay with it. And I just didn't love it the first time. So that is definitely possible because I'm coming at you having only ever watched it one time. And I will definitely watch it again. So I really love Disenchanted on Disney+. Plus. Highly recommend. Definitely think you should watch it. I, like I said, feel like it was a good tribute to the first one. And I am very emotionally attached to the first one for my own personal reasons. And the sequel, and especially the sequel, having such a strong emphasis on this mother relationship really worked for me and really hit home for me. So... That is the little review I wanted to go over this week. Just, I, Disenchanted was so good. Everybody watch it. I love it. I I wish I could have the wardrobe of Giselle. Her clothes are just so great. All her pastel colors and flowers and things. And then the change into the evil stepmother stuff. It was just, like I said, the whole movie is just so pretty. I love all the fairy tale stuff. So good. I like it a lot. So... That's all I've got to say about Disenchanted right now, and we'll get into Pride and Prejudice. Previously on Pride and Prejudice we have gotten to the point in the book where Mr. Darcy has proposed in the worst possible way to Lizzie. And she has obviously rejected him. And then he wrote her the letter. And she read the letter. And she thought about the letter. And she has changed her mind because of the letter. There's been a lot of talk about that letter. Um, It was very, very important. And then he and Colonel Fitzwilliam left. And then she and Mariah left. And last chapter, they made their way to London. To Grace Church Street to stay with her aunt and uncle for a couple days and pick up Jane before they head home to Longbourn. And really, last chapter was all about Mr. Collins saying goodbye and saying how wonderful it was and how great his life is and how wonderful his wife is, and he's correct. And then they and then very, very minimally you just find out that they've ended up in London. And that is where we start off. What chapter 16 is, they are leaving London and finally going home to Longbourn. Let's get into it. So, chapter 16 begins with a timestamp, basically. It says, we are now in the second week of May. So, Jane went off with the... F- with um, the gardeners after christmas so she's been there for a long time lizzie has spent a full-on month in kent with the collinses so time is passing pretty quickly here and we're already now into the second week of may and you know the big trip to pemberley is going to be this summer so time is passing quickly now and the book started last fall so we're almost You know, we're not quite a full year. If um, Bingley came down in the end of September is when he took when the book. So that's when the novel started in the end of September. We have now made it to May. So that is our little timestamp of what's happening here. So what's happening in the second week of May is that the three young ladies. So Mariah, Jane and Elizabeth are all leaving Grace First Church Street and heading back to Hertfordshire and going home. So they take a carriage from London to a kind of meeting place in the middle where Mr. Bennett's carriage is there to greet them. And along with the carriage and the coachman, he has brought both Kitty and Lydia with him, which um, is not particularly helpful, but it is funny. So what they have here... Is Kitty and Lydia, who are sort of waving to them from the dining room upstairs, and it, we learn that they have been there for over an hour and they've been happily employed in visiting an opposite milliner, watching the sentinel on guard, and dressing a salad and cucumber. So, what does this tell us? So, they've gone, they've been hanging out in the dining room or at the inn and going to the little shop across the way. So, the milliner's like a little hat shop, essentially, and Watching the sentinel on guard. I don't really know who that is, but you know, some military person or some or security guard of some kind and dressing a salad and cucumber. So sort of setting up this little lunch. Now, what I was interested in is that um, the edition I have that has annotation says that a cucumber is supposed to at the time would sort of represent an extravagance. So a cucumber would be very expensive um, and something more than, like, what you would normally order, I suppose. So what it says there is that one of Jane Austen's letters writes of a cucumber costing a shilling and being a very acceptable present to somebody, Um And to put that in context, of home economy guides from a few years later list three or four shillings as the normal weekly expenditure for fruit and vegetables in a modestly affluent family of five or six. So, if on all of your sort of produce for the week of for a family, you would spend five or six shillings, and a cucumber costs a whole shilling, and it's seen as like a fancy present. So, to spend that on on this sort of in this sort of situation is Kind of showing how Lydia has no sense of money, I think. And no sense of, like, I don't know, balancing the checkbook sort of situation. She has no sense of how much money she's got. Which is also seen here where they're setting the salad up. And they're saying, oh, yes, is this not nice? This is a great surprise for you and we mean to treat you all, said Lydia. But you must lend us the money for we have just spent ours. So she's bought this sort of extravagant, expensive lunch, but she doesn't have the money to pay for it. She is depending on the on the idea that her sisters are going to show up and pay for this lunch that she has ordered, which is super rude. Right. Like even for your for siblings, that is very rude to do that to somebody. And that shows just how thoughtless and rude Lydia is. And so then she's showing what she spent all her money on and it's on a very ugly bonnet. She's leaving. Lydia says, I do not think that it is very pretty, but I thought it might as well buy it as not, which again shows her attitude. I might as well buy it as not, even though it's ugly. And even though that means that she doesn't have enough money to pay for the lunch she ordered, she still is going to buy it. She says she's going to put it to pieces as soon as I get home and see if I can make it up any better and when her sisters tell her that yeah that's an ugly hat she says oh but there were two or three much uglier in the shop and when i have brought some bought some prettier colored satin to trim it with fresh i think it will be very tolerable besides it will not much signify what one wears this summer after the militia have left Meryton, and they're going in a fortnight so this is the news that lydia is imparting is that the militia is to leave which i mean you would have expected they're gonna leave eventually right they're not there forever But this now puts it in perspective of exactly when they're leaving. And this makes Elizabeth happy for obvious reasons. Because that means Wickham's leaving. And Lydia goes on to tell them that they are going to Brighton. And she would like Papa to take them there for the summer. And, you know, it would be so much fun. And I'm sure it would hardly cost anything. Again, we're just emphasizing how much Lydia has no idea what things cost, or like, has no concept of money, I think. Um, so she thinks that, like, oh, yeah, there's not much, it would cost hardly anything, it'd be fine, no big deal, and it's, summer's gonna be miserable if we don't go. And of course, Lydia or Elizabeth is not in favor of this, and she is saying that she doesn't want to go there. It would completely do for us at once, meaning that I think it would ruin the family, which she's not wrong when Lydia goes. Um, so to Brighton and a whole camp full of soldiers. So she, I, to me, she's saying she's against Brighton in and of itself and also the camp full of soldiers. And the reason that would be is that Brighton is very much associated with the um, Prince Regent. Who is very morally questionable? How about that? So the whole town, I think, kind of has that reputation, kind of a Vegas thing, where you know not, it's a little skeezy, um, fun but skeezy. And so that's the that's the implication I get from the whole Brighton thing. Um, and of course, the whole camp full of soldiers. There's when when one poor regiment. Was too much for us already. And so Lydia, of course, doesn't like that Elizabeth is not right on board with her scheme. And so changes the subject, saying that she's got some very good news that she wants to tell. So Jane and Elizabeth ask the waiter to leave before she gives the news. And I think this is, again, supposed to show that Jane and Elizabeth have some discretion and don't want to be gossiping in front of the servants whereas Lydia doesn't care if she's gossiping who like who she's gossiping about or in front of or anything and has no discretion right like she doesn't care as we've seen through this whole thing she doesn't have a care in the world about her reputation about her family's reputation about like any sort of effects that her actions might have we're seeing that again here where she doesn't care but she's fine with him leaving and we get to see that she's kind of a jerk here because she's like Oh, as if he cared. I'm sure he's heard so much worse. You're so silly for sending him away, but he's ugly. So it's fine. I didn't want him here anyway, which is just mean. Like, why are you saying that about the waiter? That's just rude. Um, And she'll say some more rude things like that in a minute. It's just this whole thing is, I think, designed to make us notice Lydia in a way that you kind of have before, but I don't think it's been quite as emphasized. But Lydia is so annoying throughout this whole chapter. She's just going on and on. She's saying rude things. She's doing rude things. Like this whole like saying that the waiter is an ugly fellow and she's glad he's gone before going on to the Wickham. And I think you're on Lizzie's side that you don't want to hear about Wickham. And her talking about going to Brighton when you know that's not going to happen. And she's just so obnoxious. So her news about Wickham is that... There is no danger of Wickham's marrying Mary King. She has gone down to her uncle at Liverpool, gone to stay, and Wickham is safe. And Lizzie comes back with, and Mary King is safe, safe from a connection imprudent as to fortune. Then there's a line that says, she is a great fool for going away if she liked him. And it doesn't say who said that. Um, in the 95 version, I'm pretty sure... No... Now, Mariah says something else. I'm not sure who says that line. Uh, And in the book, it's not clear. Somebody says that. But Jane says that she hopes there's not a strong attachment on either side. And that is the line that's kind of given to Mariah in the 95, but she asks it. Was there a strong attraction, do you think? Which is how Lydia is able to come back with, this is the next thing that she says that I find super rude and mean. She says, I am... So when... Jane says she hopes there's not a strong attachment on either side. Lydia says, "I am sure there is not on his. I will not answer. F- I will answer for it. He never cared three straws about her. Who could about such a nasty little freckled thing? Which is awful to say that there's no way he could like her because you find her ugly." Again, we're seeing Lydia being very focused on looks again i guess because just a couple paragraphs ago she's calling the waiter ugly now she's calling mary king ugly um well she's saying she's a nasty little freckled thing i guess she does not use the word ugly for her but that's not but it's about looks right and saying that he couldn't care for her because of that and it's just it's not a good look for lydia i'm really she's not coming off well in this chapter that's what i will say Um, But the paragraph after, I think, is really interesting because right after Lydia says that Elizabeth, the next paragraph says Elizabeth was shocked to think that, however, incapable of such coarseness of expression herself, the coarseness of the sentiment was little other than her own breast had formerly harbored and fancied liberal. So what does that mean? We're going to unpack that for a second. So she is shocked at what Lydia is saying here about how she is sure that Wickham didn't care about Mary King at all um and she's thinking i would never have said it that way like she would never have said who could care about such a nasty little freckled thing she would never have said that right but the idea that wickham didn't really have any attachment emotional attachment to mary king but was going to marry her anyway just for the money that's very much what what elizabeth thought that's what she told to mrs uh, to mrs gardner her aunt um and she was defending him for that and so the idea that she had in the past felt the way that way that she was sure that he didn't have any sort of emotional attachment to her but was going to marry her anyway just for the money and was defending his actions in that is telling I think um and then she's noticing that in herself and feeling like I I shouldn't have felt like that I shouldn't have you know been okay with that like that was a problem in me and in myself it's part of her introspection and like learning about herself and learning that she you know can grow so that's really great for lizzie that she's able to look back on herself and realize that when she was doing that and defending wickham in those things it was sort of showed a lack of her own moral fiber at that time i think So they eat, the elder sisters have to pay, because the younger sisters bought this expensive lunch but didn't have the money for it. I'm just pointing that out again, very rude, I would be so upset with that. Um, So after that, the carriage is ordered, and after some contrivance, the whole party, with all their boxes, work bags, and parcels, and the unwelcome addition of Kitty's and Lydia's purchases, were seated in it. So here's the next thing. Jane has been in London for months. Lydia, or Lydia, Elizabeth and Mariah have been in Kent for six weeks. I'm sure there's a good amount of luggage between the three of them that all has to get into this carriage. They've got lots of stuff because they've been traveling. And Kitty and Lydia, of course, have not been traveling, so they shouldn't have any. But they came to greet them, quote unquote, in this little village. And they went shopping. So now they got their shopping bags to add in and there's too much just crap in the carriage now um and you know the narrator is very clear to call that unwelcome addition again just rude behavior and lydia is acting like this is all great she says how nicely we are crammed in i am glad i bought my bonnet if it is only for the fun of having another bandbox." well now let us be quite comfortable and snug and talk and laugh all the way home and in the first place let us hear what has happened to you all since you went away. Have you seen any pleasant men? Have you had any flirting? I was in great hopes that one of you would have got a husband before you came back. Jane will be quite an old maid soon. I declare she's almost three and twenty. Lord, how ashamed I should be of not being married before I was three and twenty. My Aunt Phillips wants you so to get husbands. You can't think. She says Lizzie had better have taken Mr. Collins, but I do not think there would have been any fun in it lord how i should like to be married before any of you and then i would chaperone you all about to all the balls dear me we had such a good piece of fun the other day at colonel foster's okay it keeps going from there she just keeps talking and talking and talking she's as bad as mr collins because it just keeps going like i'm gonna have to turn the page again her speech goes on but i want to cut out before we keep going with all that lydia has to say so first off, the rudeness of how she's bought things that they didn't have room for in the carriage, and they've added that to the carriage. How, what fun. Um, and she's talking about that. And then she is, the things that she's throwing out that I think are foreshadowing for her situation to come up, come with Wickham. Is she's asking, has she, have you seen any pleasant men? Have you had any flirting? And I was in great hopes one of you would have got a husband before you came back. So she is hoping or was hoping one of them would elope, right? Because that's what it means if you caught a husband before you came back. So not getting engaged or like meeting somebody, you will become engaged too, but actually would have already been married. That's an elopement, which is what she's going to do, right? So she's point. So we're already getting this idea that she doesn't see anything wrong with that. So that's one thing to tick. Then she's talking about Jane being an old maid soon, which is, again, just showing her rudeness because an old maid is not a favorable thing at this time period. And Jane is turning three and 20. That's not old maid material. We're talking about Charlotte Lucas being kind of on the shelf an old maid at 27. So late 20s or even into 30 would be when you'd be reaching that time of danger, so to speak, from persuasion and stealing that. But... 23 she's not in that place where she's in any danger of being an old maid at this point and it's just rude and so cruel honestly because there's no reason that Lydia wouldn't know that Jane just had this huge heartbreak with Bingley and she went off to London to try and make herself feel better and it obviously hasn't like she never didn't see him again and she has absolutely no compassion for the fact that that Jane thought she was about to get married. Everyone thought Jane was about to get married. And then she didn't. And this was hugely painful and upsetting for Jane. And Lydia just stomps all over it. Doesn't care. And is just a complete jerk about it. I, I really feel for Jane in this moment. Lydia is really showing that she has no compassion for jane about her situation when she's going on on this and also even without all that just calling jane old for no reason because there's no yeah jane's not an old maid at 23 even if their bingley situation had just happened but it just again we're piling on lydia is coming off as a complete jerk in this in this chapter Um, then she keeps going on about how Lizzie might have married Mr. Collins and how Mrs. Phillips is still saying that Lizzie should have, but she doesn't, but she, Lydia, doesn't think that she should because it wouldn't have been any fun, which is again, just uh, showing how immature Lydia is and how she doesn't understand the real, I suppose, consequences of marriage because... There's a lot more to it than just like would that be a fun guy. It's a lot about, you know, the realities of the money situation and the living situation, which again, we will see that Lydia does not think about or care about when her with her marriage. So we're already getting foreshadowing of she doesn't understand any of this and it's horrible. The other foreshadowing we get is that she's saying that she would like to be married before any of you, any of her sisters. She wants to be the first married so that she could chaperone them about to all the balls. Which we do see is a big motivation for her with, though again, her marriage later on. We also get more information here as she goes on. I'm not going to read word for word, but this with Colonel Forster and Mrs. Forster. And how she's best friends with Mrs. Forster, which will come up very soon again. And how they are dressing up some man in drag and how it's so funny and they all laughed at it which complete sidebar but um i think we are supposed to see it as rather crude that she would do this and not like great high society but i also don't i think it's interesting that we see this situation where like a man is dressed up in drag for the entertainment of these women and it's not like seen as this huge horrible thing by any of them like i think lizzie is judging it and i think that like high society would judge it but it seems like the soldiers don't really care um so it's just one of those things because drag has come up recently in the news in america as people being like shocked i say shocked that it has happened and it's just interesting to see that there's some of that from, you know, the early 1800s and people were doing it back then. It's not a new phenomenon that people are still getting shocked over. That's where my mind went. It's just kind of funny. Anyway. So, I mean, I think we are supposed to see this whole dressing up some man as, as a woman and having so laughing about it and stuff as crude behavior. But um to me... That is one of the more endearing parts of this. Like I really dislike Lydia throughout the rest of it, but that part sounds kind of funny anyway. So it goes on. So that's, she finally stops talking or at least the narrator stops like showing us every word for word that Lydia says, but it says with such kinds of histories of their parties and good jokes, did Lydia assisted by Kitty's hints and additions endeavor to amuse her companions all the way to Longbourn. Elizabeth listened as little as she could. But there was no escaping the frequent mention of Wickham's name. So all of this is something that Elizabeth is not excited to hear about. Is not happy to hear about. Um, But again, I don't think that Lizzie is particularly shocked by any of those stories or anything. It's more that she just doesn't want to hear about Wickham. For again, obvious reasons. Then we reach, they finally get home and... The reception was most kind. Mrs. Bennett rejoiced to see Jane in undiminished beauty. And more than once during dinner did Mr. Bennett say voluntarily to Elizabeth, I am glad you are come back, Lizzie. Which is nice that, um, you know, Mr. Bennett is usually so sardonic, I suppose. But he's actually saying something sweet. He's actually very happy that Lizzie's back. And that's nice to see. I do love her relationship with her father. Then we get sort of the end scene here. They're having a large dinner party because most of the Lucases have come over to gather Mariah and take her home tonight. Um, and so everybody is talking loudly. It says that Lady Lucas is talking to Mariah across the table about the welfare of the pol- and poultry of her eldest daughter. So getting all the news from Kent. Mrs. Bennett is talking to Jane on one side to get all the fashions and then on the other side, retailing them to all the younger Miss Lucases on the, her other side. So she's like sharing. She's yelling at Jane from one side and like then tending the news down on the other side. Um, and then Lydia, of course, is talking in a, in a voice rather louder than any other person's. Was enumerating the various pleasures of the morning to anybody who would hear her. So she seems to just kind of be talking into to everybody and nobody at the same time. Which sounds very Lydia. So then we get this part of her conversation where she's talking to Mary saying, oh, you should have come along. It was so much fun. We drew up the line, the blinds on the way there so we could pretend nobody was in the coach. So I guess that was in case they showed up and Lizzie and Jane and Mariah were already there so they would be surprised. Because otherwise there's no point because they, you know, got there first. And they were supposed to get there first. Like, scheduling-wise the horses would want to rest before they came back the other way. So... I don't know who they think they're playing that joke on, right? Like the coachman knows they're there. And nobody else cares. And Lizzie and Jane aren't at there aren't at the inn when they arrive, so they wouldn't be there to play the joke on I it doesn't make any sense to me what she thinks she's accomplishing there. <laughs> like, it's just not a very well thought out plan. But again, very Lydia. Um And so they get there and she says, I do think we behaved very handsomely, for we treated the other three with the nicest cold luncheon in the world. And if you would have gone, we would have treated you too. Which, okay, Lydia, she's using the word treated in quotes very much because she ordered the food, but she didn't pay for it. It was very clear multiple times the older sisters had to pay for this food. So quiet about treating your sisters, Lydia. Get over yourself. Um, and then of course she talks about going into the coach and we had so much fun and I was ready to die for laughter and we were all so merry on the way home. We talked and laughed so loud that anybody might've heard us 10 miles off, which, um, I, I don't know. That doesn't sound great. <laughs> Why are you so loud, Lydia? But it sounds, it sounds like Lydia does have a very loud voice. And Mary is not very impressed by any of this, which, I'm on Mary's side here. She comes off a little judgy and and annoyed, Mary does. She says, Far be it from me, my dear sister, to depreciate such pleasures. They would doubtless be congenial to the generality of female minds. But I confess they would have no charms for me. I should infinitely prefer a book. Which... I mean... Mary's a bit of a party pooper, but I completely agree with her. I would infinitely prefer a book to having to sit in a carriage with Lydia and have her yammer on and on and on and on and on. She sounds annoying. But we get some more information about Lydia after this, because it says, But of this answer, Lydia heard not a word. She seldom listened to anybody for more than half a minute, and never attended to Mary at all. So, yeah. Um... We get that again, that Lydia doesn't listen to other people and she only hears what she wants to hear. And that is, again, important information about Lydia that I think we've already gotten. But now it's being very explicit. This entire chapter is very much just a chapter about, okay, everybody, just to remind you, Lydia is the worst. So after they eat and probably the Lucases leave. Lydia was urgent with the rest of the girls to walk to Meryton and see how everybody went on. But Elizabeth steadily opposed the scheme. It would not be said that the Miss Bennets could not be at home half a day before they were in pursuit of the officers. And then it also says that also she doesn't want to see Wickham. So she doesn't want to go into town. A for the reputation of the whole family. She doesn't want them to be seen as, you know, chasing after the officers But B, also, she really wants to avoid Wickham as much as possible, and staying away from town is one way to do that. Um, It says she dreaded seeing Wickham again, and was resolved to avoid it as long as possible. The comfort to her of the regiment's approaching removal was indeed beyond expression. In a fortnight, they were to go, and once gone, she hoped there could be nothing more to plague her on his account. Which is, again, a little foreshadowing, um, She's like, oh, yes, he's going to go and everything's going to be great. I'll never see him again. Yeah, sorry, Lizzie. It's not going to be that easy. And then we get the last chapter, which brings back this whole Brighton thing. She, Lizzie, had not been many hours at home before she found that the Brighton scheme, of which Lydia had given them a hint at the inn, was under frequent discussion between her parents. Elizabeth saw directly that her father had not the smallest intention of yielding. But his answers were at the same time so vague and equivocal that her mother, though often disheartened, had never yet despaired of succeeding at last. So just reminding you about that Brighton scheme, which again is going to be important later. Um, just to end off the chapter there. We're finding that this is being brought up all the time. And it sounds like Mr. Bennett is doing his usual thing of enjoying winding his wife up about it. But having no intention of actually, you know, doing this. Or actually fulfilling any of their desires of wanting to go to Brighton. It's not actually going to happen. But he is denying it in such a way that he's just riling his wife up for his own amusement. As opposed to actually making sure she understands that no, this is not happening. So he's just entertaining himself with the whole thing. Which is very Mr. Bennett and you know funny for us and the readers and the chapter and everything and probably even for lizzie a little bit but kind of cruel to his wife i think i love mr bennett i think he's great but i do think that he's cruel sometimes and this is one of those places again um the mr collins thing was awful when he didn't tell them anybody that he was coming and like some of the little weird games he plays are I think mean and this is one of them which is like just be clear that it's not happening and move on you know so that's where I'm at with that anyway <laughs> um, and that is the end of this chapter so really what I get out of this chapter is that Jane and Mariah and Lydia or Lydia, Jane, Mariah and Lizzie have all made it home, they're back in Longbourn, everybody's back back on home turf for a little while at least which is good We've been reintroduced to the Bennetts, specifically Lydia, and we are reemphasizing in this chapter completely just how annoying and obnoxious Lydia is. That is very important that you just completely understand that. And that seems to be the biggest thing I've learned from this chapter is that Lydia is super obnoxious and loud and annoying. And oh my God, Lydia, stop talking. So that is where we're at. I will see you next time when we are back with chapter 16 and more fun in the Pride and Prejudice universe. See you then.